good to be in church. We're going to be looking at the topic of salvation and how just what we were singing, that the God, the creator of the world is with us and he's for us. We never have to fear that he's not right there going through whatever we're going through in life. Go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. And we're into week five of Call of Duty, and we're looking at the helmet of salvation. When you strap on a helmet, you get a sense of invincibility, don't, don't you? When you put on any kind of helmet, right? Think about the times that you wear helmets in life and how it makes you feel when you put that thing on. Think of all the dumb things we do when we have a helmet strapped to our heads. Any, any, any motorcycle riders in the room? We got a few motorcycle Okay, we got a few of you. So why don't you think, you put on a piece of plastic with a little bit of padding, and then you go 150 kilometers an hour with nothing between you and Mack trucks on the 401, right? But you've got a helmet on, so we are good to go when we have that, that helmet on. My brother-in-law, he's a rock climber. Any rock climbers in the room? Anybody, anybody do that? He's gone to the Grand Canyon. He's gone out west to uh, Squamish, BC. I don't know if you've ever been up towards Whistler and Squamish, but there's this big giant, it's like, I don't know how many hundred meters high it is, but he, he went right up the side of this sucker, and you can't do that rock climb in one day, it takes more than 12 hours, it's about a 20 hour climb, so he got halfway up, about 14 hours, and then he slept on the side of the rock in a makeshift hammock, like he nailed in like a couple, and he's, and he's sleeping on the side of the rock, but he's got a helmet on, so I mean, if he falls to 600 meters down onto the rock, he's good, because... He's got a helmet on. <laughs> what, about, what about sports? Any athletes in the room? A few athletes in the room. We play, I'm, I was a goalie, and uh, goalies, what we do is we get in front of pucks traveling 100 miles an hour, and if, we, if it's coming high, what we're taught to do, this is, to, this is total truth, you square it up, because if it hits you on the side of the head, it might go in. So you've got to square that sucker up dead centered. Anybody see uh, this week, if you're watching the playoffs, Henrik Lundqvist did this twice uh, in, game, in game six. He, played, he bounced it up off his head. You want to you get that thing straight on so the puck hits you right in the head. It's a wonderful idea. The crazy things we do with a helmet. We've got a picture on the side screen of the evolution of the football helmet. I don't know if you've been following, there's lawsuits going on with NFL players because they have concussions and they've got this chemical called CTE in their, in their brain and, and they're, they're having massive headaches and some people have died from it. And look at that thing. They used to hit each other with that leather thing on the top left. No wonder they had concussions. And it's progressed all the way along and see, they've changed teams so we've got no allegiances here. We're keeping everybody happy this morning. But you get, you get down to the bottom right, and that thing's like a weapon. You can survive a nuclear attack on with it if you hit in with that helmet. And now they're like launching at each other with this helmet strapped on. We do insane things when we, when we have a helmet strapped onto our heads. The Roman soldiers did this. Remember, we've been looking at the, at, at the book of Ephesians and in the context of the Roman soldiers, and they had a helmet strapped on as well. And they'd go into battle, and there'd be archers shooting arrows and the resorts coming, but they had a helmet, so they figured that they were protected. Well, we get to verse 17, Ephesians chapter 6, and if you need a Bible, you can slip up your hand, and Peter will make sure you can borrow a copy this morning, or you can, uh, if you have version on your smartphone or your tablet, you can just search Portico or Milton, and um, our texts will pop up there on your, on your device. 
But we're going to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. And we're looking at the helmet, and here's what it says. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, and take the helmet of salvation. And salvation is basically this. You know, if you've not heard this word, it's not a word we use outside of church typically, but it's the future hope for everyone who believes in it, that no matter what we face here on earth, we have confidence that we have our future in heaven, a place prepared for us that we're going to go and spend eternity with God. And this morning we're going to walk through some theology on salvation, but it's particularly important on a few levels. If you're here this morning and you're just considering the concept of salvation, about reliance on God and trust in God. This is a great morning for you to be here because we are going to look at what the Bible says about salvation. We're going to look at how we experience that and maybe some of the the doubts that we have about that. So if, if you're in that boat this morning, great morning for you to be here. Maybe you're in the boat that you're a Christ follower, you believe in Jesus, However, you've always wondered, what, what do I have to do really to make it stick, to make this, make this agreement that I've made with God? How do I have, what do I have to do to make sure that I'm not going to miss out on heaven? We're going to look at that this morning. We're also going to look at what a life that has embraced salvation actually looks like. And if you're in none of those boats, like Jeremy said, just hang tight. We'll have some cookies in about an hour, so we're good to go. So salvation is this, we want to look at believing what God has already done for you. You can't understand salvation without comprehending that it's a completed, finished work that was done for you. It was done and nothing else needs to be added to it. Salvation alone is good enough for us to get to heaven. This is what we read in Ephesians chapter 1. We did this a few weeks ago. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, and forgave our sins. When Jesus died and rose again, anyone, anywhere, at any point in time, could get to heaven. It's the basic concept of the Bible, of the gospel, that that anyone can get to heaven. Humanity was sinful. Sin is the thing that separates us and God, humanity and God, and something needed to bridge that gap, and that something or someone was Jesus. But here we are, we live and we breathe and we exist 2,000 years later and we try and figure out how do we connect with God now because we hear hear pastors and when we read authors talk about the best ways to get get good with God and and the truth is, is that it happened, it's done, it's a completed concept. There's nothing that we need to do. We walk into it and it's already there for us. Have any of you ever done... One of, your chi- one of your children's science fair projects before. This is just honesty this morning. Have you, anybody ever, you've done the science fair project this morning. Confession time. It was like a project coming. A few people like, they're slowly, no, I'm not sure I'm going to raise my hand. There was a project that had to be done and you were like, I'm going to do this for my kid and we are going to have the, they're not going to have one of those potato clocks. You know, every kid, they have a potato clock and they jam like a few things in there into the potato and then the clock ticks and like nobody's impressed by that anymore and or then we have like what are some other typical ones you have like your the pet hamster running through the maze and see how smart fuzzy is like no we're not we're not we're not doing that one we're gonna like we are gonna do a legit science project here we're, we're going to have something where you, you broke out your power tools, the blow torches, like the chemicals in the lab, and you, you had a science project for your eight-year-old to, to, to bring in and wow. 
teachers in the room, you know when your parents have done the project, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, the, the teacher's like, yeah, we know. You can tell who's done the homework if it was the student or if it was the parent. And it's kind of hard to penalize the kids when the parents have done the work because it was the parents that got really excited to want to do the work. It's most times you, you don't think you don't think there's a lot of ten year olds that can come home and say, "Mom, there was there was a project that was assigned, but it was for you. It wasn't really for me. So you should do this, and then I'll just I'll just bring it in so the teacher can mark your work." We know that it's the parent that gets all excited and the parent that comes in and does the work for the kid, right? We want to give our kids good things. Have we heard that before in scripture anywhere? (laughs) The father that wants to give good gifts and do good things. That's the concept of salvation. God looked down and said, man, there's a giant task that these people have to do. They have to to get the, the gap bridged back between them and me, and they really can't do it on their own. So what what are they going to do? So God looks down and says, I did it for you. You did nothing you have to do. You just have to walk in with your science fair project. You just have to take on the salvation. It's already there for you. And there's actually a lot of bad theology in church that we buy into sometimes. We think God loves us more when we obey him. It's not true. God loves us all equally when we were still sinners. He did that. God loves us completely equally. It doesn't matter what we do. We're more of a Christian when we respond, like, like God's more happy when we respond in worship. But God, did you see how high my hands were? I know every word that was on the screen. I didn't even have to open my eyes. I, I was the good, the best worshiper this morning. No. He loves us all equally. And the salvation is a gift that was a completed work. It was done for everyone before we ever responded, before we even obeyed. And he doesn't expect you to do anything to achieve it. Right now, my parents are in the process of buying an HD TV. They've, they, they still have, like, they still have, it's a giant one. Emmy still have one of the thick TVs at home? You got, yeah, you have a few people. You got the thick one. My parents have a thick one. It's bigger, but I think their eyesight is getting smaller, so they think their TV is shrinking and they need something a, a little bigger. And, and so they're like, Rick, we want to buy an HD TV. So how do, we, how do we make it look like your TV? Is what, basically, that's where, how the conversation started. How do we make our TV look like your TV? And they said, because I know you're with a different company than, than, than we are. So I'm trying to explain to them the difference between the signal that comes into the TV, which is like an HD signal. You've got to buy that through a provider. And then your TV has to be able to show that. And they're like, no, we just want the TV to show. We don't want to change the... No, see, the signal that's coming in has to be HD. And then the TV has to be able to show HD as well. And then, and then you've got to decide between like 1080p and you want plasma or LCD and what's the refresh rate. And my mom stopped me halfway through this conversation. She goes, can you just do it for us? <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you just call Rod? Can you, can you just come over? And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, this is going to take me like a couple hours to drive there to go and be on the phone. And you know what it's like when you're trying to call like Rogers or whoever it is for somebody else. They have to say, I need to speak with the, with the uh, person whose name is on there. So I'm going to have to pass it back to them. And then my mom's going to say, but I don't know what you're talking about. So I'm going to pass it back to my son. And then I'll get like five minutes in and then pass it back. This is going to be a whole day of my life trying to get the, an, an HD signal for my mom. And she just looks at it. She goes, it's too big. I can't do it. Can you just do it for me? I just, I just want that. <laughs> That's salvation. That's Jesus. He said, you can't do it, so I'll do it for you. 
And when we think about salvation, we need, we need to approach it that way. There's nothing that we do. It's just done for us. Hebrews 9, 26, the last part through verse 28, it says this. But he's appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, we were, we're destined to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And the study of salvation, it starts with reminding us that he did it all. And it's one of the largest obstacles people have with Christianity is that they feel it's contradictory at some times. They feel like there's things that they read in the Bible that, that go against each other. And I like to say this, it's, it's both and. If you're going to understand salvation, you're going to understand Christianity, you have to accept, accept sometimes that it's both and. Jesus was all God and he was all man. He gives us free will on earth to make choices and the, our footsteps are ordered. It's both and. And he did the work of salvation. It's a completed work. You don't have to do anything. And then we get to the next part. And you have a part to play. <laughs> we are required to embrace, here's the second point, embrace what God is completing in us. There's nothing that we do to become more saved. But there is a sense in the Bible and church that we're supposed to live holy lives. Catch that. Nothing we do makes us more saved. Nothing we do earns us a greater level of salvation. Yet, at the same time, we are required to live a life that reflects the salvation that we've experienced. If we're already going to heaven, what's the point of restricting anything about life on earth? Think about that. The reality of the gospel is that there is no sin. There is nothing we do, no hatred, no attitude, no act, that God can't forgive in an instant, and that he doesn't forgive the moment that we confess it and say, Lord, forgive me. At the drop of a hat, God forgives us. And yet once he does that, there's this new sense that because of the gift we've been given, we're to try to obtain perfection with everything that we have. And I'm going to read about this in a bunch of scriptures. We've got a lot of scriptures here today, but we want us to see that uh, we want uh, as a church to really study. This isn't our idea. This is what we see in Scripture. Titus 2, 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's what we've been talking about. But it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the way that we live doesn't take away or add to our salvation. But the thought is here that since we've been given that gift, shouldn't our, we want to have our lives look differently? Have you ever moved to a different country or even a different part of this country? At what point do you become not what you formerly were, but at what point do you become the new place where you're living? At, at what point, if you left one country and then you move to the next country, when does it change? When do you become, I'm no longer X, I'm now Y? When do you become Canadian? If it's, if it's the USA that you're moving to, they expect you to become an American, really the moment you arrive. The moment that everything goes through, they expect you, now you're going to be American. At the very, very least, you're a landed immigrant engaged in the process of Americanizing. 
I wondered this. How long does it take before a person that moves to the States starts saying y'all all the time? Like, they forget that there's two words, you all. It just becomes one word. Like, is that, is that a week? Is it a month? Is it six months when, when y'all starts coming out? When is it a bad idea? When do they start believing that we should no longer have free health care? What, what, what about that? <laughs> when does that... Okay, now I'm touching some, now I'm touching some nerves this morning. <laughs> When do they just give up being polite? Like if a Canadian moves to the, to the States, when do they just give up saying thank you? And if you're American, I'm just kidding this morning. <laughs> my, sister, my sister recently moved to Nebraska. She, she met a boy when she was away on a, she was on a mission. She was on a missions trip and met a boy. How, how's that for it? They're on, they're on a six month, uh, uh, they, were, they were serving on this place called Mercy Ships. And they were, they were, they were in the, it's, it's like a hospital, a floating hospital off the west coast of Africa. She met a boy, she fell in love, and he's from Nebraska, and she's living in Nebraska. And she's, she's been going through all these processes over the last few years, try, trying to think, I'm becoming somewhat like people from Omaha, yet I'm still Canadian. You know, as a believer, we're given this gift, and what we once were, we no longer are. It says we're a new creation, so the life we once had... We no longer have that. We're now living over here. When do we start to change? When do we start to take on the aspects of the new life? You know why this becomes so important? It becomes important because we live in a world where the majority of people know nothing about what it says in the Bible other than what they see in the lives of people who confess the Bible publicly. They have concepts of maybe what might be in the Bible, but they really don't know what the Bible says except what you and I show them or tell them if we're open about our faith. I remember when I first started following Christ. I was in my teens, and God started to speak to me about this. I was telling the story to our youth a couple of weeks ago. I was a, I was a teenager, and I was in grade 10, And God spoke to me in a service, and he said, Rick, I want you to start becoming more public with your faith. You just made this decision to follow me. You've got to start showing other people what it means to be a Christ follower. And it was in in a youth service, and the speaker, he said, you know what some people do? They bring their Bible to school with them so that they always have the Word of God right with them. And I'm sitting there, I've never, never followed God before, never, just starting to learn this stuff, and I'm sitting there thinking, that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. I'm going to math class, English class, gym class, I'm going to throw the Bible in my locker, I'm carrying around two textbooks, why am I going to carry a Bible to school? That is just dumb. God likes it when we kind of challenge him like that. <laughs> and he says, oh, my, my Bible is dumb, is it? My, my word is dumb. Well, Rick, I'm calling you to bring your Bible to school every day. I'm thinking, oh, why did I even have that thought? Like, he's inside your head. I didn't even say it. I just thought it. And then that second thought is followed up like that. Now, I had just become a, I just become a Christ follower. My mom, for years, had been the only Christian in my extended family. So when I started going to church, and when I told her that I got saved, she had a meltdown, and she had been, like, in tears for weeks. I would, like, walk in the door, and she Oh, Rick, you're... And like, I, she couldn't even get words out, right? So for my birthday, just what every 14, 15-year-old boy wants, she got me a study Bible, a leather-bound purple study Bible, this thick, okay? Like this. I still have it. It's, it's, 
I just don't carry it around all the time with me anymore. I'm probably going to have to feel like I should after this service. But, but it's like this thick probably weighs 40 pounds, and I'm in service, and I'm, the Holy Spirit's saying, Rick, I want you to carry that Bible to school with you every day. I'm thinking, Mom, why didn't you get me a little pocket Bible or something? Like, they didn't have phones back then, so like, I couldn't even get away with it. I do have the Bible with me all the time. I've got the app, see? <laughs> so I showed up to school. This is a Friday night. I showed up to school on Monday. I'm carrying this stinking leather-bound study Bible. Just plop it down in English class when the guy next to me says, What is that? I said, It's my Bible. He goes, Why do you have your Bible? Mm-hmm. I didn't know, what, didn't know what to say. But let me tell you, I had more faith conversations based on just carrying that word around. And then I started to, get, started to have to be able to share what it said or what I believe that it said because of that. And I started to think twice about the words that I was going to use. Because up until this point, I remember, I had not been a Christ follower. I didn't have the cleanest language as a teenager. I started to think twice when I was carrying the Bible, physically carrying the Bible, and thinking, what kind of language am I going to use? What, what kind of life should a Christ follower have? It, it literally changed the way I acted at school, the way I spoke, the way I treated people, when I started saying, no, I want people to see what a life that follows Christ looks like. It wasn't, I I was saved the moment that I confessed my sins. The moment that I said, Lord, forgive me, I believe in you, I became the new nationality, the new person, the new Rick. The moment that it happened, that's when I became Christian. But I had to let life change start to happen. It took weeks, it took months, it it took years actually. And you may not be called to carry around a study Bible. I pray that you are, because that's a great experience. I, I just pray that for you this morning. Just take that to work on Monday. See what happens. I, I can get you my giant leather study Bible if you want to take to your work on Monday. We'll see what that happens. But if you've accepted the gift of salvation that was done for you, you're now called to go and carry that out to the world and model a life that the world needs to see. And we come up with all kinds of excuses of habits that we're stuck in or shortcomings in our life, we say, you know, I just, I just tell it like it is. I'm just a blunt person. That's just me. Or I'm around that all the time, so that's what I do. No, there's area, the truth is there's just areas of our life that we haven't fully surrendered to Christ, that we haven't fully surrendered to allow him to change. Because change isn't fun. <laughs> change costs us something. It hurts. It, it kind of pulls at us for a while. I always think this, do we really think that our habits or the way that we live, the things that we're used to doing, do we really think that that's got a greater power than the power of Jesus to change a life? I don't think it does. I think we just don't always submit it and we don't always go through the whole process. It might take 10 years to change, but the power of God can do it if we, if we believe that. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, remember these aren't my words, these aren't my thoughts taking this directly from scripture this morning. It says, So get rid of every kind of evil, every kind of deception, hypocrisy, jealousy, every kind of slander. Desire God's pure word as newborn babies desire milk. Then you will grow in your salvation. I love this passage because it, it, it starts us out saying, you know, you're, when, you're, when you do get saved... You're, you might have some deception, hypocrisy, jealousy, slander. You may have that in your life when you first receive that gift. But if you desire God's word, see what it says, and you grow in your salvation, we'll slowly get rid of that. And a life that receives salvation is one that, that needs to be open to change 
happening. In 1 John 2, 6, it says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You can't get much plainer than that. <laughs> live as Jesus did. There was the phenomenon of the what would Jesus do bracelets back in the 90s, right? We just want to think about do we live the way Jesus did. Let me go back to my, my, my high school story. I started bringing my giant Bible, and I figured I might as well join the Bible study group. If I'm bringing a Bible to school, I may as well at least be in the Bible study group. There were seven of us that met in a school of 1,500 kids. Seven people who said, I'm going to do this. We thought, you know, there's, we, we, we came up with a tagline for our group, for our Bible study group. It was seven nerdy kids reading the Bible at lunchtime. <laughs> we thought that was kind of catchy. That's what, that's what, what we went with. <laughs> When we started to live out our faith and allow Jesus to change us, we left an impact on the school around us. We, we left our high school. There was, there was this group of us that said, we're going to do this. We were in grade 10 at the time. I can remember, seven of us. And we said, we're going to start to live differently. We're going to bring our Bibles. We're going to live our faith out for others to see. We weren't the coolest kids, to be honest. We, we, we didn't have like a big reputation in the school. And starting a Bible study club wasn't going to help that reputation in in the school, but we remember, you know what we're going to do? We're going to serve our teachers. We're going we're to do good things in the school. We're going to be public about our faith. And when we left our high school, when I graduated in OAC, when we had OAC, I remember that there were 75 kids the last day in our Bible study on Wednesday, and one of them was leading in worship, and one of them was sharing their faith, and one of them, one of them was getting ready to take over, over that group. And it was the best compliment she ever gave me. She said, she said, Rick, I was just on my way to Bible study, and we, we had changed the name to Impact, because we were making an impact. It was, it was very cool. It was all the rage in the 90s. So we, we said, I was on my way to Impact, and there was this kid that came up to me, and they said, hey, you're Lindsay, right? And she said, yeah, I'm Lindsay. She goes, I think you're a Christian that goes to that Bible study group, that Impact group. And she said, yeah, I do. And, and this girl said to her, she said, what's the name of that Christian guy that, that, that leads that group? I know he's a Christian. I, I'm not sure what his name is, but I know he's a Christian. And she said, well, his name's Rick. And she said, Rick, that's the biggest, that, that just spoke to me. She, he said, this girl knew my name and wasn't quite sure if I was a Christian. She had no idea what your name was, but she knew you were a Christian. And I thought, man, if I could be the way that it is all the time, what what, a, what an impact we could make if people didn't even know our name, but they knew we were Christian by the way we lived our lives, by the way we carried our Bible. Maybe not physically, but maybe outwardly for our lives. And if you're here this morning and you've received the gift of salvation, how clear is it to other people by the way that you live your life that you've embraced a life that's changing the work that God is completing in us day by day? Because it all points to an end where we receive the ultimate prize of heaven, and we're anticipating what God has promised for you. See, Paul was certain about it. Philippians 1.6, I, And I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And he continues with his helmet analogy when he wrote to the Thessalonians church and he said in verse five, chapter 5, verse 8, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith, and love is a breastplate, like we spoke a few weeks ago, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Do you ever wonder what heaven will be like? Do you ever have those times where you just think, I wonder what heaven's going to be like? 
I used to think, when I first got saved as a teenager, I used to think it would have a lot of Dr. Pepper and a lot of video games. I thought, if it's going to be perfect, there's going to be lots of, lots of soda and lots of video games. I've evolved since then. I now think there'll be a lot of espresso and a lot of football. That's kind of where I've, I've, I've gotten to with that. Seriously, though, we don't have a great description of what heaven will be like. And when the disciples were writing their letters to the churches that are in Scripture now, they acknowledged this tension that we don't really know. 1 John 3, 2, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown to us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we'll be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Peter wrote as well, he says, You love him even though you've never seen him. And though you don't see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. And the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Even though you don't see him, even though you don't know what we'll be like, you trust him. And full truth this morning, we don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like. We know there's something about golden streets. And we know there's something about, there's angels re- repeating a few phrases in worship. And we're, there's lots of debates. Are we going to be married? Are we not going to be married? How are we going to be known? It leaves a whole bunch of details to the imagination You know, there's one thing that I do know about heaven. I know I want to be there. And that's why it's so important that we confront this head on. We see what Paul wrote to the Romans. He's in captivity, remember. In 1311, he says, It's all more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And you see this with the New Testament writers all the time. At first, they thought Jesus was, he left, and he's probably going to come back in a few months for the church. That's what they really believed. And then as time went on, they realized, "Mm, I'm not sure if he's going to come back in a few months, but I know it's getting sooner than it was a few months ago. (laughs) And that's where we stand today. He may come back in a few months. He may come back in a few decades. He may come back in a few hundred. We don't know. But we know it's closer than it was yesterday and a few months ago. And we have to prepare ourselves for him to come back. I'm going to invite our musicians back today. And just ask you the question, as we look through salvation this morning, are you ready? We're going to take communion, and communion is nothing more than, I shouldn't say nothing more, communion is aligning ourselves with Christ in his death, and taking part in the sacrifice he made for us. And at Portico, We have an open communion for anyone that wants to participate. You can take the bread and you can take the juice and Lisa will lead us through that in a few moments. But anyone who says, yeah, I believe that Jesus was God's son and I confess that I need his help and I need forgiveness of my sins. Anyone who says that can participate with us this morning. And the gift to you is salvation. It's heaven. It's eternity. And here's the challenge this morning. You're in one of two boats, I believe, if you're here. You've accepted salvation. And now the challenge for you is embrace the work that God is completing in you every day. Don't let any area of your life become untouchable. Don't let anything prevent you from letting God mold you, shape you. Don't let any attitude, any habit, any closed off area of your life, don't. Don't stop changing. Embrace what God's completing in you every day. Not not because you're more saved because of it, because the world's watching. And that's what Jesus asked us to do. Live like I did.
You may be in another boat this morning where you don't believe in Jesus. You're here. You're not fully sure that you believe he was God's son. Right now in this very moment, you can just make a change and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. It's what we say when when you got that feeling inside that God's spirit is speaking to you saying, I'm real. I care about you. That story that you've heard before in church, it's real. I sent my son to bridge the gap so that you could experience peace on earth now and eternity perfection in heaven later. If you're in that boat this morning, all it takes this morning is just for you to make that choice to believe and say, yes, Jesus, I believe. Please forgive me. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? God, I pray this morning that you do the work that you need to in all of us. Lord, we're going to respond in the time of worship and music and we're going to participate in communion. But Lord, I pray that every heart, everybody that's here today uh, would sense your spirit pinpointing something in their life, one area where you're not done with them. And whether it's the first step in their journey of faith or whether it's the 10,000th step, Lord, we ask that you collectively would continue to mold us. Thank you, Jesus. We ask this in your name.